Hey everyone, welcome back to the next episode of the Excelsior podcast. So today I have with us Mr. Aaron Kessler. So Aaron, for those who don't know you, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. I've uh, so I'm a I'm a senior product manager at a company called SnapLogic. Uh, I've been in product management for around ten years. I started um, I started really because I started my own company and and um, it, when I was in college, and then that company got somewhat acquired by by another smaller company I, I ended up becoming the fourth person on, on that team and that was sort of my real introduction to product management um and then you know sort of hopped around moved around a bunch and um have had a wonderful product career and i really love helping other people break into this field so okay that's great like you know you are looking to helping people breaking into products so uh, you transitioned into product management from a software role was the transition intentional or was product management something you just ventured out of you know ventured into out of curiosity yeah it was a type of thing where I, it was almost like i was doing the job without really knowing it right so um so you know i i knew when i uh when i left that small startup um i i knew that i didn't really want to be a developer anymore and i just wasn't sure um what you know what i could do after that so um i started just you know uh researching a bunch of different roles that you could use your technical background for and i stumbled upon sales engineering solution engineering and then also product management and so then you know what i started to do actually was just connect with people on linkedin and ask them about what they did in those jobs um and a- after a while i sort of decided product management seemed to be really what i wanted to do and and so you know just uh sort of broke into it from from that uh so i definitely you know i definitely didn't have a traditional transition into it i i didn't transition internally i didn't do that i just you know figured that that that's kind of what i wanted to do Yeah, speaking of transitioning into product, uh, many, you know, senior PMs like yourself tell that if anyone wants to break into product, should ideally, you know, uh, gun for being an internal PM or being a PM in the B two B space, as a B two C space has you know uh, can be pretty risky and high pressure. So would you say the same can be said for you know the remaining two domains, like being high pressure? you know i i think product management in general is a is a pretty high pressure job um i i don't you know there are differences in terms of like being an internal pm and and being a b2c or b2b product manager but the the main difference is is really the customer um you know i i've been an internal pm i've been a b2b pm um and the the main differences there are just you know how who your customers are and the different politics that you have to play internally and and you know the different stakeholders that you have to deal with um so really at the end of the day it's all about delivering value to the customer um and uh traditionally at like a b2b company your customers are actually not really the people who purchase the product whereas a b2c company your customers are also the people who purchase the product so um so you actually do have a sort of direct line to hearing 
from those customers, but you do have a lot more customers typically. Um, internal customers, I mean, internal products, I think, are somewhat the, I, I don't know, I wouldn't say easiest, but the easiest to actually hear customer feedback because all of your users are, are internal users, right? So, um, yeah, I get that. And also, I think the role of a product manager differs from, you know, company to company as well. Besides oh, the space they're working in. Yeah. So uh, what is the basic difference between a product manager and a project manager? Like that is something which many people get confused when they are just, you know, introduced to product management. Yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, I think the main difference between the two uh, project managers, um, you know, both both roles are super valuable. Project managers really focus on um, the project budget and the resource allocation. Um, product managers mainly focus on, um, you know, the resources in, in generally, but more so. Project man- product managers are more of the strategic thinkers and the the people who need to balance all the risks, uh, you know, that are associated with the product, um, you know, delivering delivering value to the customer while also making sure that it's a business viable solution. Um, and then, you know, they're also responsible for the roadmap and, and what's going to be uh, delivered in general of value to that user. Um Whereas like the, the project manager is more so dealing with those strict timelines. Yeah. And besides that, I guess they also have a certain, you know, framework which they follow. And from what I know of product management, PMs in general, they uh, have a bit more freedom to operate. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, they and that's the other thing is like, there are so many different frameworks that are available to product managers. And, and I, you know, I, from what I've seen, I love them all. Um, you know, and it's just sort of picking the right one for the right time, as opposed to your right project management. Um, you do have more of a, a strict framework that you do have to follow. Yeah. And continuing on the topic of frameworks, uh, do people really follow specific frameworks when it comes to product management? Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely follow more so de- the design thinking framework uh, in general. I, I think there are a lot of different frameworks that people can follow, but really like, I, you know, what, what I try to tell people who are just getting into product management is to not get so bogged down with, with following specific frameworks, just focus on, Again, just delivering that value to the customer um, and and bringing the customer into the process every step of the way. And whether that's design thinking or something else, uh, these frameworks are just trying to help you on when to engage the customer and when to engage different stakeholders and and why. Um, th- that's at least what I think in terms of a lot, a lot of these frameworks. Yeah, and uh, I mean... Besides that, from my experience as well, uh, like many companies, they use a blend of, you know, different frameworks. They don't just specifically follow a certain framework. And uh, I mean, also like some 
companies in general say that they are agile but actually they are not like <laughs> yeah. certain parts of the company are <laughs> like recently i received my scrum certification and i personally have seen like companies like even companies like deloitte and google if uh, you know i was working in a contractual basis with them they said that uh, like we don't specifically follow a certain framework we use a combination of the three and uh, initially i thought okay maybe this is something i'm missing out on so what is your take like uh, do companies generally use a blend or do they like okay no we are going to we we are going to you know go with agile only we are not going to stick with waterfall anymore yeah you know i've never actually seen a company that has truly been agile um i think you know agile is a wonderful framework i think waterfall also is is you know it's fine um i really like you know when when i think of agile it is you know delivering incremental value as opposed to value at at the end which is you know which is waterfall right so um hmm. i i think a lot of companies are striving to get to a more agile mindset um and working those agile principles into whatever they're they're doing now um and, and that's at least what i've seen like you know there I've worked at companies where we have like a 6 month release cycle but you know throughout that we were talking with the customer every step of the way and making sure that whatever we're developing is going to deliver deliver them value at the end of that 6 months but you know we didn't like changing changing the development inside that 6 month window was was somewhat difficult right but we still were able to do that every now and then if if what we were developing wasn't going to hit the mark yeah so are now will be focusing more on you know the interviewing process for you know uh, people who are trying to break into pm and how like you know the what kind of questions are asked when the people are applying for the roles of apms and you know junior pms yeah so uh first of all before we begin with the questionnaire like you know the questions which are normally asked and how we approach them do you think people need an mba you know to break into product like i mean it is a plus but do you think it's a prerequisite no i mean i i don't have an mba uh and Uh, you know i i think having an mba um it's definitely a valuable tool um and i think you know i would never discourage somebody from getting it i just question why people do actually think that they need an mba over the just you know traditional experience and the almost a portfolio of like how i've delivered value to customers throughout my entire career right you don't have to be a product manager to deliver value to your customers. I mean that you know a lot of developers transition into product a lot of you know there there are people who who aren't even developers who don't even have a technical background. Social workers would would make great product managers, data analysts. I mean really the the key thing is being able to empathize with your customer and and deliver them value on a consistent basis. Um I don't think an MBA is is truly necessary but it does give you the sort of business acumen if you are missing that. Um but it really is it just depends on the person I think. Yeah and I guess the same could be said for having a tech and a coding background. Yeah. I mean you are you uh, you hail from a software background yourself so I guess you are the perfect person to ask this question to. Would you say a software background 
is you know a prerequisite as well you know i i don't think so i i think um you know in some cases my software background kind of hinders me rather than helps me because i you know instead of trying to think of solutions that you know are sort of beyond my wildest dreams i think of like what's you know what i know is possible based off of my development background but you know somebody else coming in who who doesn't have that limitation of knowledge might think of something just absolutely crazy and and a, just a beautiful idea that that isn't limited by whatever they know about technology. Um, and, and that's also how you get a lot of innovation, right? You get these people who are just dreamers, who, who just dream things up and, and, you know, have no basis in technology. And, and that's, that's even better because they, they don't know what the actual limiting things about the technologies are. Yeah, that's quite an interesting, uh, you know, hypothesis you provided. Like, I haven't heard anyone in general, like, in my experienced professional, like you say, okay, my background at times may hinder the, you know, as to what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, knowledge is a two-edged sword, right? Like, <laughs> you, you, you get all this knowledge about technology and about all these things that are possible and not possible and, and sometimes that's that's great and it really helps and then other times like you know i i essentially have to shift my mindset a lot when i get into my creative process of thinking what's possible because i have to go in with that sort of beginner's mind of forget what i what i think i know about all of this what would be the actual most valuable thing to that customer and let's work backwards from that as opposed to well, I know our, our, you know, tech stack is this, and I know all of these limitations that we have. So we have to do what's, you know, what's in our constraints, but we don't necessarily have to do that. We can find a different technology. We can find a different thing that, that would help. Um, and it, it does take a lot to get out of focusing on how something's going to get built rather than what needs to be delivered to that customer. Yeah, exactly. And uh, now moving on to the whole interview segment, uh, when it comes to interviews, what are the specific questions which people are, you know, people who are breaking to product are normally asked? I mean, the one, the most common one I would say is like, uh, you know, what is your favorite product and what would you do to improve it? So you, as an experienced PM, how would you answer this question? How would you go about in answering and what tips would you give? For someone who's asked yeah, this question? I, I've been asked this question a lot. Um, and you know, I, so I always try to put myself in the mind of what the interviewer is actually looking for here, right? They, so if I'm the interviewer, what I'm looking for really is, first of all, your passion. I want to know exactly how passionate you you can be about your favorite product. This is your favorite product, right? So you you need to be somewhat passionate about it and love it. Um, and so, you know, that's number one. I, I look for the passion. The second thing I want to know is like, how how uniquely you think about how that product delivers value to you. And so I always put that in the framework of, of jobs to be done. How does this product help me get the jobs that I'm trying to get done, done? And I think about it on, on terms of like the whole user level too. Um, and then, you know, the third thing that I'm looking for is, uh, you know, it, how would you improve it? Um, 
that also needs to follow the sort of jobs to be done framework as well. Like how, what are the jobs that this product actually misses and how can you be critical about something that is, that is your favorite thing um, and actually try to think about how you would improve it. Because most of the time we don't think about how we would improve our favorite products or the products that we buy at stores because, you know, they're, they're done They're You know, we're, we don't, ha- we don't have any say in what, you know, how to improve them, but, um, but yeah, so think about how, what other jobs you might want to be getting done in that. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I can answer the question right now, if you'd like. Yeah, sure, sure. Definitely. <laughs> so, so what, what I've been using recently is, um, you know, my, my favorite product is the Apple AirPods. Um, and I absolutely love the Apple AirPods because, you know, they, they helped me get most of the jobs that I was trying to get done throughout the entire time that I was listening to head with headphones. They, they helped me get those jobs done. Right. I, I used to be one of those people who carried around earbuds in my pocket, wherever I went. And so, you know, dealing with those cords and the tangling of the cords. And, you know, I would also, you know, be trying to get like the best sound quality and, and all this stuff. And, and so the AirPods, you know, the Apple really figured out how to create a, a small design that fits in anybody's pocket. Um, and, you know, I'm also, I'm also a runner. So they also help me get my job done by they stay in my ear while I'm, while I'm running. And that is also super important because even, even wired earbuds, you know, those would fall out occasionally and, or I, you know, I would yank on a cord and it would, it would be yanked out of my ear. Um, so, you know, going into what I would improve about it, I, I think the, the microphone on it is, you know, I, I think recently they've, pro- I think they've improved the microphone, but the microphone, Every single call that I'm on, somebody says, are you on your AirPods right now? Because I can hear a bunch of wind in the background or like they pick up everything in it. Like I can't even do the dishes. I can't do, you know, I can't do any task except for be on that phone call while I have the AirPods in, Um, which, you know, that that's something that that really missed the mark there. Yeah, actually, but uh, in fact, I currently use the, uh, you know, boat rockers like what happened was i kind of lost one of my airpods <laughs> and the thing is i don't want to uh spend something you know spend a lot i mean i know it's not a lot but uh i just wanted to try out something else and figure out how it works as compared to the airpods uh i would say when i'm using the disney plus app and you know say i want to call someone uh the same thing happens for the you know boat rockers which i'm currently using like, I guess that is something which is pretty universal to, you know, all Bluetooth wired, Bluetooth uh, earphones in general. Because in between, I was using the Samsung Buds as well, and they also had the same issue. I don't know about the newer edition which, the, which Samsung has launched, but at least the ones which I was using normally when you're making a phone call, uh, you cannot play anything else. So, yeah, I guess that's pretty much prevalent to all of the, you know, Bluetooth based headphones or AirPods or earpods or whatever the nomenclature is. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
Yeah, but you're right. This is something definitely Apple can work on, and that will provide that will basically give Apple an edge over others if they figure out a way. To, yeah, a hundred percent agree. Yeah, or I mean, or if somebody else wants to figure it out and then license that technology to Apple, right? I mean, there's there's so many different uh, different ways to solve that. Yeah, and uh, like continuing on the whole interview segment thing. Uh, Another question, which is pretty much asked, is how important is constraint thinking, and how can anyone, you know, incorporate that while making a roadmap? Yeah, um, I think. I mean, I think constraint thinking, you know, overall is is pretty important. I mean, even even when you just join a company, right? Like, you know, you. A lot of people focus on, you know, how can I deliver like a massive amount of value immediately, right? Like, but constraint thinking helps in terms of like narrowing down that scope and and really thinking about like, how can I deliver incremental value? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that, that I, I use. Um, you know, the, the roadmap, I, I think you absolutely can use it when, when you, you do your roadmaps. It's um, the, the roadmap to me needs to be a little bit more broad and, and strategic um, and, and really focusing on the, the impacts that we're going to make to both the business and the customer. Yeah. And speaking on roadmaps, uh, I believe there are certain companies which ask, you know, uh, what is the process? Like, what process does the interviewee follow while making a roadmap? So, yeah. What tips would you advise for you know someone who wants to make a roadmap and doesn't have any prior experience in making one? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I would say that. Um, you know, I guess it depends on how experienced the person is, but uh, like the, the way that I answer this question is I, I typically, you know, I start with the, with the high level vision, right? The, the company vision, I start with the company vision and then I break down the, the company vision into like what I would consider like our products vision. And then from there I go, um, for the objectives and the key results, the OKRs for the individual, you know, pieces of value that I'm trying to deliver along that, um, uh, along that product. Um, so, um, and then, you know, every feature that we have on the roadmap fits into one of those objectives and, and then, you know, the, the KRs follow from there. So I think, you know, Again, yeah, that might be a little too complicated for somebody who's just breaking into this field. But again, just focus on the company vision um, and then break it down into just smaller objectives from there and then deliver that along. You know, I do I do technically quarterly um, roadmaps. So like, you know, every quarter, here's what we're going to deliver. Um, I don't put dates. Uh, I don't organize it in a Gantt chart. Um, it's just sort of like a, a simple timeline based off of quarters um, and it all rolls up into that company vision and then objectives that we, we are aiming to, to achieve. 
Yeah, I mean there are a few people who I believe, you know, the audience in the audience who don't know what a roadmap is. So roadmap is basically you could say in layman's terms is a plan of action. So and like you said, uh, starting with questions like what is the product vision. Yeah. I believe uh, something else which you know uh, people can focus on is like what value does a product offer? How will you know this product improve things for the customer? Who will use the product? So besides all that, are there any other questions you would say, you know, someone who's not as experienced and making a roadmap should incorporate as well? Um, I, I would, I guess I would just say, you know, don't, don't be too, I guess, in the weeds with the roadmap. Like we, we want anybody what I think a lot of uh, people who who just start out making roadmaps, they, they sort of struggle with is anybody should be able to look at that roadmap, whether it's, you know, an employee at your company or your mom. Like anybody should be able to look at that roadmap and be able to see exactly, be able to understand what exactly is going on in it, right? Like, it it shouldn't be too low level and focusing on like the, the nitty gritty details of each feature and all of this stuff. Like it should be sort of high level and, you know, here are the, here are the key points that we're trying to achieve in each quarter. Um, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't require you to actually be in the room if somebody's, if somebody's looking at it. Yeah. And I, I believe one more thing what, you know, uh, people who are not as experienced in making roadmaps struggle with this. Uh, a roadmap in general involves a lot of assumptions. Like until you get the proper facts and figures from different, different departments. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all the data mentioned is tentative in nature. So people in general are worried, okay, if I put in this figure, will I be chewed out for mentioning such a high number instead of something, you know, oh, in sure. the closer ballpark? Yeah. So yeah, I believe that is something they struggle with as well. Uh, what advice would you give for that? Yeah, uh, so I also put something on on my roadmaps that say like you know this is a living document or you know um, you know subject to change. Um, I, because that's the thing, the the roadmap is is a living document, right? It it is meant to be iterated on and and changed. So you know, just because we might have, you know, missed the mark on like a KPI that we put in there, or, you know, a key result that we put in there, um, you know, there, you're, you're not going to get chewed out for, for, you know, getting, getting it wrong. Like the, the whole point of it is to actually iterate on it as we, you know, as we do the discovery and as we do the, the customer discovery and the product discovery and figure out more problems that we want to solve um, and have more fleshed out ideas. Right. So um, yeah, I, I would never be afraid to, you know, to just go with it and, and with the understanding that it's going to change over time. Hmm. And also like, you know, uh, Besides the whole roadmap aspect of uh, in the interviewing process, product managers in general, they need to understand how to empathize 
and some people may not have you know experience in uh, managing team members or working with people from different different sectors so what skills in general should a product manager or anyone who's gunning for the uh, you know a pm intern or an apm or a junior pm have yeah i think the the biggest skill i think is empathy um i i think there are other skills though like stakeholder management is a skill that you know that really needs to be um honed and the only real way to learn it is to have stakeholder troubles um and and mentorship is is a good is a good way to learn that um having somebody to bounce ideas off of um another good skill that that i think um is very important for for product managers is is the ability to to say no um and and not just no but like you know being creative like what one of my mentors told me um you know it's okay to say i love you enough right like just because you can't do something or just because you won't do something does not mean at the end of the day that that i i don't like you or or um we're no longer friends like you know i always try to come across as like i love you and no we can't we can't do that um and and for x y and z reason um but we could do x y you know we could do this um it it's all about navigating relationships and then you know the last thing that i would also say is communication um communication is is such an almost undervalued skill and it's so important for a product manager to be a good communicator and that goes with the i love you and no and it also goes with the stakeholder management thing right so all of it goes back to very good communication and and being transparent with your stakeholders and being transparent with your customers and 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 with you know with your team um so definitely good communication yeah and uh, stakeholder management like you said is a very important aspect of pm so considering like stakeholder management what are the common challenges faced by product managers in that area what what are the challenges in that area yeah yeah um you know i think it varies from from person to person and and product product manager to product manager but you know i i've had issues with stakeholders where where we didn't actually know um or it's not that we didn't know but like who they thought their customer was and who I who my customer was was different right like they had a different idea of who their customer was and and so for instance I had I had these consultants that we were working with at, at a company that um that I was previously a part of and they were stakeholders they were helping us develop a, a um an intake process for our entire department and their customer was a vp in my department and and my customers were the customers of that vp um and so you know they kept saying like well this vp wants it this way and this vp wants it that way and you know we sort of had a a reckoning moment where you know i i said to them like who who is the end customer here 
right? And they were like, well, that the VP is because that's who's paying my paycheck, right? And I said, well, isn't isn't the end customer technically that VP's customers who they have to impress? And when when we reframed it that way, and and they, you could see the light bulb go on, go off in their head, right? Ultimately, I don't need to deliver value to, immediately to that VP. I need to deliver value so that v, VP's customers are like, oh my gosh, you, you're amazing. I can't believe this product that you developed, right? So, um, so once their mindset shifted in terms of like us getting aligned to who the actual end customer was, it was like, it, you know, our relationship just skyrocketed from there. I mean, we, we, we didn't really disagree after that. Um, we did, we disagreed on like different things about like language and, and stuff like that, minor things, but, um, but we didn't really disagree after that. So I think, again, it goes back to communication, right? Figuring out where the other person is coming from and then being able to sort of shift your language to, to say like, Hey, have you, have you considered this other perspective? Um, hmm. Is yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that is really helpful. I mean, I was just uh, thinking, uh, you know, like, well, I can versus stakeholders, I too have, you know, certain issues, like the most, uh, you know, the one that stands out the most to me saying no without dissuading and, you know, offending the ideas and the solutions that the stakeholders put forward. So, uh, like, uh, after conversing with a few product managers, they were like, okay, you can do two things. One is you can provide them with options wherein, you know, okay, I, I like your idea, but I believe I can do A, B, and C, perhaps even D, E, and F instead of going with, you know, the idea which you have put forward. And the other one being like, uh, wherein, you know, you just uh, sugarcoat it and say no to them. What process do you follow? Like, I won't say process, but uh, what is your, uh, you know, take on this? Saying no to the ideas and the solutions presented by stakeholders in general. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it depends on what, what the ideas are. But, um, you know, if if a stakeholder, you know, I, I had numerous examples when, like, a stakeholder would come to me and, and say, like, we need this to, to be a next sprint um, or we need this to be, you know, uh, a, a feature and we need this to be, like, you know, in the next quarter or in two weeks, three weeks, whatever it was, right? We need this immediately. And there were many times where I, I would just say, um, you know, I, I would just give them the roadmap and say like, okay, well, you know, you also asked for all of this other stuff. How am I supposed to, how am I supposed to deliver the, the feature that you just requested and then also deliver you all these other things, right? And ma- sort of making them, putting the decision back on them, right? If you, if you guys need this immediately, then something else needs to change. Because I, I, you know, I have limited resources in my team. They're already working on this, this other stuff. You know, help me help you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jerry Maguire, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Help me help you. <laughs> That's a great reference, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is really applicable in product management. I really, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah um yeah because you know a lot of people don't think don't think in terms of like you know 
you, you have a limited time constraint. You have all this, all these other limitations. But if you throw the limitations back at them and just say, like, I'd love to help. I'd love to. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying right now I have all these other things that I'm trying to deliver for you. So I can't just add another thing onto the list without, without making a trade off. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, you may have heard of the, like the 70, 20, 10 rule. And you also mentioned mentorship, you know, yeah, about a few moments ago. So, uh, how important would you say mentorship plays a role when it comes to people who want to break into PM or someone who's just starting as a PM intern or an APM or a junior PM? I think mentorship is is crucial. Um, I think mentorship is is one of the it's one of the most important things that helped me when I was first starting in product management because there are just again there are so many things that come up that you know that you're not fully sure about or you you need somebody else's thoughts or you need somebody else's like perspective on on how they've how they've tackled that problem um you know for instance like what even even with just the product management buzzwords right i mean there are so many buzzwords these days in in the field that like it's almost impossible for you to know all of them um and so like when, when I was first starting in product management, one of the biggest buzzwords around was design thinking. And I first heard the term on an interview and somebody, somebody asked me, how do you use design thinking? And I was like, ah, I don't know. I think about design sometimes and do design and think about it, you know? I mean, and then I went to a mentor of mine. And I was like, can you just tell me like, what is what is this design thinking framework like how am i supposed to actually use it um and they broke it down for me like super well and you know it it was super valuable because then you know then i knew how to answer that question going forward in an interview because it's like i was already doing design thinking i just didn't have the buzzword associated with it but so that i mean that's one example of how mentorship helped me but the you know others are just you know, it's it's always good to have somebody who's objective and can help help you. Um, you know, whether they're a part of your company or, or external. I mean, almost all of my mentors have been external to to the companies that I've worked, at. and and that's been great because they don't have that that baggage of of knowing what what exactly the company is going through. Yeah, actually, you're completely right. I mean, having external mentors really helps. I mean, they provide you with a third person perspective. Like, you're like, oh, this is something I could really, you know, incorporate in my whole process. Exactly This is right. something I could definitely consider. And yeah, like, you know, uh, you, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, that uh, you learned about, like, you already knew what design thinking was, but that buzzword is specifically, you know, you didn't know what it's called design thinking. Now, uh, if I were to, you know, continue on the same thread, uh, just the other day, my boss said, "Like, okay, you know, you although you are a junior PM, I I think you should sit through this interview and just see as to how interviewing is done." So, like, okay, cool. And uh, I believe uh, the uh, candidate was asked, "What do you know about KPIs?" And it was pretty clear she didn't know what KPIs are. I mean, she did like you know know what it was but she couldn't articulate it well and i personally have seen there are people who uh you know 
attempt at giving answers when they clearly don't know what the you know interviewer wants to answer like having uh, answering to the point and specifically so would you say for a person who doesn't know an answer to a particular question they should just say okay i don't know or you know they should just attempt answering like just bullshitting if i were to say it that way <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah i mean what how, so how i think about interviews now is like again earlier what i said is like you know i i try to really put myself into the interviewer's shoes and really try to understand like what is it they're asking and and why what what's important to them there or what do i think is important to them to to actually know about you know about what they're asking right so and if i don't know like if they ask me what what are kpis to me that's actually not a great question because your your test your it's essentially just a, a quiz question right like what the what they're actually trying to figure out is how do you use kpis and how do how do kpis influence you know your product thinking or or what at what part of your product process do kpis come in um or how do you measure actually yeah uh, i'm i'm sorry to cut you away that was a question he asked but uh, you know she clearly didn't know what it was so yeah. we did like he asked a follow up question okay do you know what kpis are ah, so she okay. clearly didn't okay. know i see yeah 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 okay um yeah so you know if i didn't know the term then i would just ask you know could you just clarify like what what does that mean um what 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 are what are kpis um you know if cuz yeah if if the question is like you know how do you use kpis um yeah then i i would probably ask like how what what does what does kpis mean um because yeah. it it doesn't necessarily mean that i don't know it 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 just means that i haven't heard that term um cuz some you know they might know the term key performance indicators they might not know that K- it's it's you know uh, abbreviated to KPIs yeah and uh, you know uh, like would you say a person should you know uh, say like like i was saying earlier that many people when they are preparing roadmaps specifically inexperienced people in the whole pm sector uh using the strengths weaknesses opportunities and threats like the swot analysis or the swot analysis i don't know like i think the pronunciation is pretty different i in case yeah. if i have you know missed out on it i apologize <laughs> but uh i think i believe personally that like, that is something an inexperienced or rookie pm could start with their strengths weaknesses you know opportunities and threats analysis like to categorize different different sectors in the roadmap so is there anything else you would uh, advise people to incorporate as well um so in terms of like how to prioritize uh, on a roadmap yeah 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 yes 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 yeah um yeah i mean there there are a ton of different prioritization um frameworks i you know i i really like to first start out with just like an impact and feasibility matrix um and you know I also do like to bring the team into into that 
that process where where like you know by, by team I guess I'm talking about the the product trio or like the lead engineer the product manager and then also the um the designer um and you know really sort of assessing that that um that impact and feasibility with them in the room. Um, you know, I, I think another way to figure out the priorities are, um, you know, we, we could just figure out what our, what sort of our North star metrics are and then work, you know, work backwards from that. Um, but yeah, I mean, a SWOT analysis is also, you know, that that's, that's valuable. It just, it really just depends on like what, you know, what you're trying to do. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, there are a lot of things which a person can, you know, consider when it comes to prioritizing or, you know, any analysis they want to use. So uh, also like, <laughs> Many, uh, like many times after, like, you know, after I started this whole podcast series, uh, many people ask me who want to break into product. Okay, I don't know Jira. How do I go about it? What if they ask me questions about Jira and the APM or junior PM or PM intern role? How do I go about answering that if I don't know how the software works? I mean, I personally, I tell them, okay, that is something you can always learn. Technical knowledge and, uh, you know, using a certain app or a website is something you can always learn focus more on getting the empathy aspect or stakeholder management or team management or working in a team of different, you know, where people are from different domains. But <clears throat> although I do agree that knowing Jira does provide an edge, uh, what is your take on this? Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't get too hung up in, in terms of like the tools, uh, you know, that, that we use, like I, you know, it's like what you said, tools. I mean, you can, you can learn a tool in like a week, right? Like the, the key things that you, you really have to know are, are the sort of like untrained, untrained things or like the, the, the things that are much harder to actually pick up. Like, you know, when I'm, when I'm interviewing people, I really like to figure out how, how good are they at, at stakeholder management how how much they put the customer at the center of what they do every single time um and you know yeah how how do they how do they prioritize and then also how do they um how do they really just focus on delivering value to that customer um so i wouldn't get too focused on like you know all oh, they use figma over over adobe xd or you know um they use aha over product plan or you know jira over um asana like it you know you can you can learn those tools um very very easily and if you don't know them and and that's really important for for them like i i, I would also <laughs> i would also question like how you know how they do product management if if really if really having an understanding of jira over the core concepts of product management, um, you know, I, I would, I would question that. Yeah, exactly. Like soft skills play a larger role when it comes yeah. to PM as opposed to, you know, technical skills, not saying that they're not important, but I believe soft skills in terms of, you know, 
the whole entire skill set of PM should have get a higher priority. A hundred percent. You know, uh, so I was talking to a group of PMs yesterday, and they are like, product managers are labeled as mini CEOs. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So how accurate would you say that is? I mean, that is something which I've heard mostly the first time. Uh, what is your like? You know, what do you think about that? You know, I, I've I've been asked this question a lot, and I sort of go back and forth, like. So, you know, the, there are many similarities between what a product manager does and, and what a CEO does. And there is a, you know, there's a reason why a lot of product managers do go on to be very good CEOs. Um, I, I would say that there are a lot of differences, though, in terms of, like, what a product manager does and what a CEO does. And, and so I... I think that it's not a bad thing to just be able to describe that to like somebody who doesn't know what product management is like, and you're just sort of explaining your job. Like you can be like, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of like a mini CEO of a product. Um, but I think the main differences that we, we have to really understand are that as product managers, we have really no authority. Um, we, when a CEO walks into the room, you know, people sort of, get all nervous and like they're, you know, um, they could be a little bit on edge or whatever it is, but like with a product manager, you don't have any authority of those people. So, um, you know, we, all we have to our name is just influence. All we can do is influence other people to make the best decisions. And so how I try to describe product management to other people is really we're, we're a coach on, on the sidelines. We don't develop anything. Um, we, you know, sometimes we wireframe, sometimes we make, we make a roadmap and, but really we're, we're meant to, to coach other teams to do the best work possible, right? Design, the design team, the, the engineering team, QA. Um, and we're, we're really meant to deliver value to that end customer. Um, and so, you know, we win as a team and, you know, really if the product fails, it's, it's on that product manager. So it's, um, it, and in that regard, it actually is kind of similar to a CEO. If the company fails, it's, you know, it, it yeah, it's on, it's on the entire company. It's on the team, but really the C, the CEO does take the brunt of that responsibility and same thing with the product manager. So it is similar, but there are a lot of differences. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. A product manager is, you could say, some more of a communication hub and a facilitator. Exactly. Yeah, so, uh, you know, many times I get asked, like, I'm asked a question like, okay, I want to be a PM intern or a junior PM or an APM at, say, a firm like Apple or Google. And they have no prior experience when it comes to PM. So, like, my answer to them is, what I would advise is instead of directly aiming at a tech giant like Apple, personally, I would say like, you know, work at a smaller firm, get some prior experience, know how, you know, because uh, in startups or in mid-sized companies, the role of a PM, 
I would say they get more responsibilities as compared to working at a tech giant like Apple. So that would provide them, you know, that would basically add their value and demand in the market down the line when they apply for, you know, roles at big companies. So what would you say? Uh, should one be a small fish in a big sea or a big fish in a small sea? Yeah, that's 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 an awesome question. So I... I really think in terms of like learning as much as you can about product management, actually the smaller companies are where you're going to learn a lot more about the different pieces of product management, right? You're going to have a lot more responsibility um, and a lot more freedom to, to sort of experiment and, you know, and, and use different frameworks and use different things that, that you're picking up and that you're learning. And, you know, at a smaller company, you're also going to have the opportunity to like help out with sales and help out with um, customer success and support. And, um, and even HR, you're going to get to see a lot more of the picture of the business. Whereas, you know, a larger company, you're going to be focused more on like, you know, I, I guess, I can't really say, but like traditional product management, you're going to be more so pigeonholed into, you know, that, that one thing. Whereas like having that sort of general understanding of like all the different pieces that go into the product, to me, that was super valuable. Like when I was at, when I was at smaller companies and, and even today, like, I mean, where I'm at currently, we're we're not a big company. Um, And so I, I do have a lot more freedom to, to do product management the way that I do product management um, and learn, you know, learn the different things that like might not work next time. Um, so, yeah, I always say start out as a, as a big fish in a small pond rather than a small fish in a, in a big pond, because you're going to be a lot more restricted in what you can do. Yeah. I mean, I also like, uh, Definitely very, you know, interesting answer you provided me with. And uh, in fact, uh, one of the person I was talking to, he, he made a list. Pros and cons. Pros will basically, you know, the pros section was basically covering the advantages one has while working in a bigger firm. And the cons are basically, like he had just mentioned one. And uh, they were like resource allocation and budgeting. That is the main, uh, he, uh, you know, con in his opinion. But I was telling him, don't focus on that right now. Focus on getting knowledge and experience. Yeah. Because down the line, when you say like five, six years, you work in a smaller firm or a mid-sized firm, when you'll apply for a tech giant like Apple, that experience is going to be really valuable because you'll be multifaceted as compared to, you know, your other competitors who are gunning for the role. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you can do so many more things beyond just the scope of what a, what a traditional product manager does. Like for instance, like when I was at a small, like 30 person company, I was doing a lot of the stuff that like what a traditional product marketing manager would do, right? Like the competitive analysis and um, you know, webinar hosting webinars and and stuff like that. Like, um, and then, you know, and then I got to a slightly bigger company and found out, Oh, all that stuff is handled by somebody like, it helped me a lot because it, I knew exactly what their job was and I knew exactly what they were doing. 
Um, and it was also a relief that I didn't have to do it anymore. But I'm so glad that I had the experience of doing that because it was just some, something else that I can, you know, add to my tool belt. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and in this generation, in this day and age, I would say being multifaceted is like the key towards success. Not just being, you know, like you said, pigeonholed. Yeah, <laughs> I exactly. like that word, pigeonholed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, <clears throat> now, considering the current circumstances with, you know, COVID and everything, the whole pandemic situation, uh, I believe the role of a PM has evolved. I wouldn't say it has, you know, uh, been impacted a lot as compared to, you know, people from the other industry in general or other job roles. So what, uh, you know, traits would you say a person should learn besides the ones which are needed for PMs pre-COVID? I, I would say, I guess, you know, for me, the, the biggest impact that happened with COVID was the shift to remote envi- the, the remote environment. And, you know, I was very used to having in-person meetings and connecting with a bunch of different folks around the office. Um, and now, you know, now that's shifted to to being all remote and being all online. And so I think the biggest thing that that we as product managers have to do in the remote environment is to never stop networking, whether it's internal or external. Um, you know, we have internally, we have the freedom to put a meeting on anybody's calendar. And so while, you know, while it might be, you know, quote unquote weird to, just like throw a meeting on, a, on somebody's calendar that you don't know doing that and, and sort of creating and fostering relationships with people around your company, especially if you're joining a new company, it's so crucial to have a relationship before that person ever becomes your stakeholder because you just never know, you never know what, what will happen later on. So I always think, you know, just trying to foster and, and, and form relationships with everyone that you possibly can at your company um, is super important in this remote environment. Yeah, and uh, since you brought up the topic of, you know, the whole remote aspect of COVID-19, of COVID-19 uh, yes. I believe, like, people in general are kind of, uh, I wouldn't say afraid, but are hesitant towards getting remote mentorship because even though uh, remote whole remote aspect hasn't like bothered me as such but I do understand the place which you know people want to break into PM or someone who's just gotten the role of a PM intern is coming from by saying okay I I would definitely prefer in-person internship attending meetings with my uh, mentor or my boss or the stakeholders understand how it works out rather than just going and you know clicking on a link and then uh, attending the Google meet and just being bamboozled with all the things that are happening in a meeting. Yeah. um, You know, I I don't think that there's, you know, a a great substitute for in-person. I mean, if you could find in-person mentorship uh, at your company or, or in general, like I I would say absolutely go for it. Um, I, I think, you know, 
to me, remote mentorship has not really hindered uh, anything because it's still, you know, it's still a way to to reflect and bounce ideas around and um, and and that type of thing. I, you know, that an in person relationship is is definitely I, I prefer it uh, for sure. I just, you know, I, I think with this remote environment that's it's sort of just like what we have to adapt to and what we have to change to yeah and on top of that earlier like uh, before the whole covid situation like before the whole like you know before covid struck you could just walk through you know different different uh, say uh, you want to meet someone from hr you could just go uh, walk to the what 43rd or 44th floor or whichever floor they're on Right. And meet them. And it could be a conversation of just five to six minutes. Now you have to schedule a meeting for that. And then you have to wait for the people to join in. You have to wait till, you know, if they are facing some, some you know, certain technical issues. Basically, the whole calendar in general gets a lot more clogged up, I would say. Rather than, you know, it being how, it, how different it was in the whole in-person aspect of things earlier. Yeah, I, I mean a hundred percent you know I so I mean how I've shifted is just like I throw you know 30 minute I I call them you know coffee chats um with with people like I I just I just throw 30 minutes on on somebody's calendar and and just sort of say in the meeting invite right like hey so and so I you know I'm an I'm a new product manager here or I, I you know I've been here for a little while but you know, your, your name has popped up in a couple conversations and I would just, you know, I, I would love to, you know, see what you do here and, and just sort of, um, establish, you know, a, a, a meeting and that type of thing. I mean, you know, it, it, the message can be super simple. I mean, chances are the person might not even read it anyway, but, um, just to give them a little bit of context of like why I'm reaching out and like, you know, Hey, I've heard your name around here and, and I think it'd be great for us to know each other. Right. Um, and yes, I mean, in the first five minutes or so, it, it might be a little awkward. Um, but I think getting over that awkwardness and, and establishing a relationship is way more important than just like, you know, a, a few minutes of, of awkward small talk. Yeah. I mean, I do understand that. Like, an ice-breaking session is very important, I would say. And although, like, you know, keeping ice-breaking meetings or sessions in general was uh, much easier when doing it in person, but uh, many people tell me, like, you know, people who have who work with me, I really don't know what to say. What do you think I should say? Okay, I'm really nervous about this. So I tell them this one thing. If you learn how to network with people online, offline is going to be a piece of cake for you. Yeah. Because yeah, online, you don't true. even know them. Yeah, I mean, because... Often you get to shake their hand, you get to meet you. Maybe you talk about something, you talk about a recent movie which has come out. Something like, you know, something on that note. So yeah, that is how I personally encourage them. Okay, go. Put yourself out there. Don't be shy. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, if you, yeah, if, if you can if you can figure out how to network online, I mean, yeah, in, in person is, is, uh, is much easier because it's like you you see somebody, you shake their hand, you introduce yourself, you do the whole thing, right? Like uh, online might be a little bit more awkward up front because it's like a scheduled meeting of, of somebody that you don't know, but um, you know, I wouldn't let that stop you. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, continuing on the line of networking, how important would you say networking and LinkedIn is for you know PMs, aspiring PMs, or anyone who wants to break into product in general? I mean, that is how I broke into product management. Um, I, you know, I, I would reach out to, you know, I mean, I would limit my search on LinkedIn to, you know, low, people within, you know, my area. Um, and then, um, you know, people who had product management in their title. Uh, and just also, I would just look through their, their, um, their LinkedIn profile and just sort of see like, okay, is, is, is that sort of the career path that I wanted to follow? Um, and then, um, and then that's how I would sort of construct my initial message to them. Like I would say like, Hey, um, I see that you started in, uh, in engineering, like I did. And, and then you transitioned into, into product management. Um, you know, I, I'm not looking for a job. I'm not looking for anything. I just want to, I'm, I'm more so looking to learn and I'm looking for mentorship. Um, would you be open to that? And, and I, I got great results from doing that. And, you know, I still talk to a lot of those mentors today, um, even, and, um, so I, I definitely, definitely think LinkedIn is like the single best tool for networking and, and finding mentorship. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, to be honest, personally, like I tell people, LinkedIn is a gold mine. You just need to know where to, you know, where to strike and achieve the best out of it, the best outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, you can take a product management approach to that, right? Like you could just say like, Hey, exactly. like, what, what, yes. what is my persona? What is my ideal persona of like who I, who, who I want my mentor to be um, or where I want to be in five years, pick, pick that and then put those criteria into LinkedIn. And then, you know um, yeah, ha- have some goals in mind and have some objectives and, and key results that you, that you want. Like if, if you're not getting responses back, um you and off of the off of the message that you're experimenting with right then it might be time to pivot that message and change what you know what you're actually saying in those notes that you're adding into those connection requests um yeah i mean you know and and that's another thing that i would say is like one, one of the things that i that was super important for for me when i was breaking into this job is i started doing product management it everywhere. I, I started actually just reaching out to like, you know, breweries and, and landscaping companies and, and figuring out if I, seeing if I can interview them to, you know, to just see if there was a possibility of me building a product for them. Like, you know, if we, if we can't do product management in our, in our day-to-day job, like th- there's no stopping you from, from doing it outside of work. Um, so, you know, I, there are so many ways to get into this field. Exactly. So, Aaron, are there any, you know, specific tips or, you know, any specific advice you'd like to give for people who are, you know, who want to break into product? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there are a few things. I I think, um, you know, if you're having trouble breaking into product, whether it be internally or externally, um, 
focus on learning those skills, focus on, on really learning like what, what it takes to actually build a product and deliver value to a customer. And, um, you know, for instance, from what I've seen, a lot of companies struggle with product discovery, which is just, you know, mainly interviewing customers, figuring out their problems and coming up with some type of way to solve those problems. So, um, if, if you can learn those skills of, of actually interviewing a customer and, and figuring out what a customer is actually wanting and, and what their problems actually are. Um, and again, you don't have to do it at your actual job. You can do it externally, like just pick up the phone and, and call a company and just say like, Hey, do you mind if I interview you? Um, and like that, I mean, that's exactly what I did when I, when, when I was struggling to break into this field. Um, so, uh, you know, I would say that, and I would also say, you know, gear your, gear your resume and your LinkedIn profile to be picked up by, by these recruiters who are looking for product management jobs. Um, so, you know, use a lot of the buzzwords that are, that are in this field right now. Um, and then also shift your, shift your resume into, how you deliver value to your customers or your stakeholders. Um, so that, that's what I'd say. So there you have it, folks. Key tips and really great advice for anyone who wants to break into product management. So for all those who want to reach out to Aaron, do, do connect with him on LinkedIn. He's very helpful and very knowledgeable as well. So Aaron, I really appreciate you coming on as a guest. And, you know, imparting uh, the knowledge you have, as well as providing, I would say, uh, insider tips, <laughs> if I can say, <laughs> as to how to break into <laughs> break into a PM. So thank you. I really appreciate this. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, like, you know, like you said, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm very accessible and, um, you know, I, I, I love helping other people break into product. I mean, that's what I write about uh, on my blog. and. And on my Instagram and, and, and I even have TikToks now. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm also uh, publishing a book on how to break into product management uh, later this summer. So. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, please, uh, please connect with me. And, and I, you know, I, I would love to, to continue adding value. Um, and I hope this was valuable for, for you and, and, and for, for the listeners. Oh, definitely. It is very, very valuable. So there you have it, folks. Thanks for chiming in and see you all in the next episode of the Excelsior podcast. Peace. Thank you.